Welcome, it's Wednesday, and it's time for Catalog and Cocktails, your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management, presented by Data.World. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, customer guy, product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim, I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World, and it's Wednesday, middle of the week, towards the end of the day, and it's time to take a break, have a drink, have a very stiff drink today <laughs> i can smell the swamp uh and chat data and i'm super excited about our guest today aaron wilkerson who's a senior manager and data strategy and governance at carhartt aaron is somebody who i've been chatting for i don't know like almost two years we've had conversations we had like rescheduled meetings that we're just chatting about what's going up in life and and data and we would have all these conversations and you started getting so active on linkedin and i just love seeing all your content how you go and when you read your content you're like wait aaron there's so much stuff that Aaron has in his head. And, and when you said it's close to your vest, so let's see how much you actually open up and show us more of, a, of, of what's going through your mind today. Uh, Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Looking forward to being here. Um, long time listener, first time uh, caller here. So very excited <laughs> to finally get on the show. Um, you know, when I work out in the morning sometime, definitely you guys are one of the, the podcasts I'm listening to to get some great insights on this, on this data. So on this data stuff. So definitely you know, kudos to you guys for a couple, you know, doing this stuff for a couple of years now. It's a, uh, it's a great, it's a great topic. It's a great um, podcast. Oh man. Thank that you is, so much. That, that is, is so cool. cool. Yeah. I am, I am honored that, uh, that you listen to us, Aaron, and uh, very excited for our conversation today. I know we've got a lot of, a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Yeah. But like kick it off. Uh, what, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for? You kick us off. Yeah. So I'm not a, a huge drinker. So I got here a uh, Coke Zero, sorry, uh, Gatorade Zero, one of my favorites. So this is a uh, new flavor, cucumber lime, which sounds a little bit interesting, but actually it's a, it's a pretty, pretty refreshing. So it's, it's pretty tough to find. Um, so I go to a local gas station to, to re-up on it, but, you know, it's a pretty popular flavor. So definitely <laughs> this is my uh, drink today. Yeah, we, we were actually discussing uh, his drink just before the show. And uh, first of all, cucumber, fun ingredient in cocktails. Uh, and yep. second of all, I'd never actually heard of this flavor before. And now I'm intrigued. I'm like, oh, where'd you get it? We got we to gotta find some. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I like how you just said that you have to go to a, your ga gas station to find it because it's not around at all. <laughs> yep, like, Walmart and Myers near us, they're pretty much sold out. So you got to find those special places that has it in stock. So people mm -hmm. don't know about it there yet. So Hope they don't find it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're having uh, Isla single malt scotch, uh, Bunahabanen, and I don't, I don't, I can't pronounce that. Yeah, I remember looking up how to pronounce this on YouTube in the past, and uh, and then I forgot. But it's uh, <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what are, what are we toasting for? What do you want to toast for? Uh, uh, toast to data. Toast to family. Uh, my kids are back to school this week, so toast to all the teachers and educators. Cheers to that. Cheers to that for sure. Cheers. Cheers. Woo! Yeah, that was good. All right, so your, uh, we, we got we got a warm up question. Uh, you you got this one, Tim? Yeah. So um, you know we're going to talk quite a bit today about you know from technical to business data strategy, and one of the things is like trying to get a seat at the table. So seat at the table. I was thinking Hamilton being in the room where it happens, the mm -hmm. seat at the moment. So the warm up question for today is. If you could have a seat at the moment or be in the room where it happened for any kind of a moment in, in history or someplace that's not here, 
what would that be? Um, I was thinking about that just like um, big events. So I think, um, you know, being there, like when they're like, you know, with the, the kind of big famous movies, so I was thinking about like when they were first reading those scripts. Um, I know Godfather, Star Wars, are one of my you know, favorite movies. So even just being there when they're first kind of reading that original, you know, reading table read of one of those big uh, scripts, I'll take, you know, Godfather when they're sitting around the table reading through that script like getting into that'd be interesting to be in the room with those people as they're kind of digging into that material and trying to get a feel for a film like that mm. that that's an unexpected answer that, that would, be, that, really that would cool. be really cool to, now when i go change mine which is like <laughs> i was like gonna go like well something about like early science and with mutant or whatever but now i'm like oh uh seinfeld like i want to be at the table when actually the first when they're coming out with the first episode or something like that yeah <laughs> How about you, Tim? Uh, you know what? Um, there's a lot of ways to go with this. And, you know, I'm, I'm always very curious about like various conspiracies and things like that, which I think is always like a thing. But I, I would go with more of like a, you know, a, a founding politics kind of answer, which is that I'm very curious about, you know, the conversations that like the founding fathers had for, of the United yeah. States, like when the, the like the, the first the Confederate articles failed and like you know, when they all got together and they're like, man, that was terrible. Like we should have never done that. Like here's how we should actually do the government. I just think it would be very interesting. Yeah. So direct, a direct Hamilton kind of reference, like almost directly. (laughs) All right. Well, let's kick this off. So, uh, Aaron, honest, no BS is having just a technical data strategy, a bad thing. I would say uh, from my experience, yes. Um, and I can say that just because like I've I've, you know, in my career, um, I've kind of been the person to kind of push a technical data strategy. And I think when we kind of say, you know, technical data strategy is really like more of the you know, data infrastructure, like like the back end kind of support platforms that don't really have a tie in to the business. Um, so one example, I think, is, is, is there's a lot of discussion around like Lake House. And I remember what two years ago when I was at a different company, I was just a huge proponent of like, you know, let's like we need a we need a lake house. Like, you know, everyone's doing it. You know, our we had this old SQL Server data warehouse um, that was, you know, out of date. We want to say, OK, we need to get to a, a lake house. It, it's cooler. It's more up to date. Um, you know, everyone else is talking about it. Like, you know, the, the skills are much different. So really, that was our kind of technical data strategy was just like, you know, us trying to update and kind of get everything to the latest and greatest technology. And if you ask me about, you know, how does it benefit the business? It was like a, well, I don't know. I just really want to do it. <laughs> right. So no tie into the business. And then like you put the business case together. So you have, I mean, I think at that point it was like a 18 month project. It would have cost the organization like, you know, $3 million. And the only justification was like, Hey, like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it'll make us, it'll make a platform more you know, robust. We'll have much more, um, reliability, but there really was no tie into like, you know, that's a huge amount of money. I didn't recognize that at the time where like, it's a huge investment of company resources to take that much, that many millions of dollars in that much time. You're talking 18 to 24 months to do this project and we couldn't connect it to the business. Mm-hmm. Second part of that is when we talked about business impacts or, you know, is going to be business disruption? The conversation was, well, you know, it shouldn't disrupt the business, right? They'll get the exact same data sets, They'll get the same reports and we'll do all this stuff to kind of not change the business, which in retrospect is like, 
you hope that we would change the business, right? So the whole point of like transformation <laughs> is that you want to impact the business. So when we say things like, oh, it'll be no impact to the business, like, well, we're spending millions of dollars, all this stuff just to give the business the exact same reports on the same cadence is like, is that right? And oh I think that's that. even something I thought about recently. Like that seems like a, I don't know if that's the right thing to say that. I think we're saying that to show like, okay, we're not going to be disruptive, but I think part of data transformation and all this stuff is to be a little disruptive. Like we want to have a impact on the business. We want to change business outcomes and that can sometimes be disruptive. So I think when we talk about these different data strategies, I don't think that it should be a, a nice, like, okay, we don't want to disrupt the business. Like, Hey, we are, we are going to, and that's why, you know, that justifies the amount of spend. Um, so that's my initial rant there. <laughs> Aaron, you, you've triggered so many memories for me of, you know, I, I used to do a lot of big data consulting and worked in some different big data startups. And I, and, and, and I had forgotten some of the talking points that we had. And, and exactly as you're saying, it was like, oh, 18 to 20 months, spend millions of dollars, keep exactly the same reports that you have today except it'll be more scalable and right. it'll be able to support unstructured data. We can tap into the power of big data and people will be like, oh, wow, that sounds really good. Let's do that, yeah. right? It's it's crazy, like in retrospect, it's crazy how well that pitch worked. Hopefully we've learned some things, but that was very much a tech data strategy, right? Could, would, would one argue that um, you would have, you'd start out with kind of, be you get into data warehouse into the big data space right mm -hmm. in the in the mid 2000s late 2000s uh up to now before that it was all about data warehouses right analytical data warehouses analytical warehouses, and all that stuff and that was a very clear business reason to go do that right right um because before that there were no you, you you weren't doing analytics right so now we got analytics and now i think the the situation was like oh this doesn't scale we need more but then you would hear all these things because of the googles of the world but you really didn't have such a scaling issue, right? You thought you had, they were selling you that you would need one. So well, then, you might've had some performance issues, issues and things like that. And so like there was pain, right. but, but, but pain to whom and what was the cost, right? So it was pain mm -hmm. for the technical, but the outcomes was still going to be this outcome for the business. So it, I'm just getting into like the whole, it seems to me that the whole big data, like late 2000s is what, change the mindset of folks to be very technical and focus yep. on the technical side as that's a great value. And we kind of that disconnect from like, how is this producing business value? And then we probably spent what? Almost a clear decade on technical this and that and then data science and doing this kind of with a very big disconnect for, for business. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of, I'm, I'm having this little realization right now. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, that's something that Joe Reese posted on LinkedIn, I think, what, a couple months ago, was just kind of that lost decade, right? So from 2000, like the late, like the early 2010s up until the early 2020s, like it's a lost decade where, yeah, we, we all jumped into the the big data thing. So like there was a huge problem. Even I remember being at a interviewing at a company and they were jumping into like big data. They were talking about Hadoop and I felt like I was missing out. Like, okay, I want to do that. Like it sounded mm -hmm. cool. So you think about like the different big data engineer job positions, all the Hadoop stuff. So I think there was, you know, this decade of just jumping on these big tech platform or Cloudera was, was out there too. So all these, all these kind of huge tech platform that kind of had this promise of we're going to benefit the business. There's all this hidden, there's all this, you know, hidden value in your data. And like you have this treasure trove of money hiding your data and all you need is the tools. Like essentially it's like the, you need a, a pickaxe to kind of get at the, all this gold stored in your data. And that resulted into just like 
that much, right? So I think a lot of salespeople made a lot of money selling all the different technology and services. But if you look at the, the results of these surveys, the business is still like, we don't see the value. We're not getting value of our data assets. Like it's still the same results. It's just that we spent 10 years kind of proving something that probably people knew at that time as well. So I, what I, I really appreciate is how open and honest you're being about like, yeah, you like the, these were the issues uh, of that time. And you were part of that. You kind of fell yeah. into that. Like, let's go. I want to go have fun with that technology. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell your previous self? Also, what are you, what would you tell the upcoming generation next letter leaders? Like, okay, do this. Don't do this. I mean, I, I think it kind of revolves around like, you know, the big three of, you know, there's, there's top line growth. There's um, expanding the bottom line, you know, margin, margin growth by through reducing costs. And there's also risk mitigation. So I, I think I would tell myself, like, those are the big three. So unless you can communicate how three million, like millions of dollars of investments in this platform is going to generate some type of, you know, dollar sign or value that's, you know, some kind of tangible benefit, um, you're, you're going to have issues, right? Because you're going to get through, even if you got through this project on the other side of it, the business is going to say, okay, we spent all this money. Okay. Like where's the value? What are we doing with this? And all you got is like a, a shinier, you have a Lamborghini or Ferrari or Cadillac, like you have a shinier car, but really that's not going to help the business. Like, you know, get more, you know, expand, get more clients, get more customers, improve their products, um, reduce the, reduce the amount of cost there. So I think it's more of a go back to the basic economics and let that drive the strategy versus just saying like, I want a shiny toy or like, hey, these queries are underperforming and the cloud is supposed to get us much more efficient query performance and things like that. It's, it's essentially it's going back to the basics of, of business. So tell us more about what, you know, it, doing this right would look like. Like, for example, what, what is a business data strategy over versus a, you know, a technical data strategy? So I, I think the, the key words in there are, are business strategy. Um, and what interesting things that I've kind of seen through like listening to podcasts and just being more trying to be business focused is the language is different. So I remember going, at, you know, at Carhartt, we have some pretty large like uh, sales meetings. And we're going there. I was just amazed at like how like the business and the sales team in particular like talks about things. Right. So we talk about products. They talk about customers. They talk about linking products to customers like they have videos like talking about customer journey mapping like the even like i listened to a a podcast with um with the uh the ceo of ford uh, i'm forgetting it's jim farley so even he talked about like products like the you know they make automobiles and they talk about customers so there's a linkage there that i think has a pretty strong language and that's really the business strategy like either how do we improve our products how do we create new products how do we get new customers or convert, you know, demand to customers and link that together? So I think that, you know, the the proper way is to think about, okay, like given that relationship of product and customers, like how does data fit there, right? So how does data either help us create better products, uh, get more products? You know, how does data help us get more customers or, you know, find more customers? Like that's, I think, the better strategic initiative is like trying to figure out those pieces of it. And talking about data the way our business talks about like our business, which is very different than I think in you know technology or data we talk about it. Like we talk about 
data quality, data governance, but like, do we connect around like, hey, like we make these products, we have these customers, like this is what the customers want. This is how we market to them. Like it's a, a language difference that I think is, I think the right way to do is switch our language up. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm going to say now. Probably it's uh, the business literacy that we need to go uh, focus on. I mean, right. I, I think if you're in the data technical side and, and you feel uncomfortable or want to go learn, go talk to the salespeople in your organization and tell, right. tell them like have them explain what they're trying to go do, what is their value prop and stuff, and what are they struggling, what do they want to go increase and so forth. Because and then just figure out that language and tie their language to the work that to to your world. And and this is this these are the honest no BS conversations that we need to be having. Um, I I, I want to just bring up this uh, uh, question here from Doug. Um, be curious to hear from Aaron's perspective if the often emphasis on pitching the technology versus working to articulate business value is an education thing. Uh, I mean, education within like the the data teams. Um, yeah, maybe enablement. So, yeah, I would say it's. Yeah. It, 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 I would say it's an education thing, but also I think you have to tie it to, like, I won't say incentive, but it's kind of like how how do we gauge our effectiveness of our performance. I think the tricky thing that we have in the data industry is that we don't necessarily know how to attribute value to what we do. So our performance goals are usually on like we delivered this project or the project got complete or we met the business requirements. Um, so, so I think that that's where, you know, we have opportunities. So I think, you know, we can educate people on kind of how to be better at business literacy, but it's a, do we have us do we have people that care like we can, we can teach and train them want to but if they don't care if there's no buy-in that they need to think differently then i think you're educating people there's it's kind of like we go to training class or go to a conference and then you have nothing to tie it back to so like you know you just forgot everything you learned so i think it's a it's education but we also need that the practical experience or some type of tie to um something that kind of gives people a lot more meat um meat and bones there that that's it. So what what do we do? I mean, okay, you, you've you've acknowledged another gap, another problem there. Um, so so what? <laughs> yeah. I, I, what what would be incentive structures to go do to, to 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 bridge this? And actually, let me bring up here another relevant question that Sarah just asked. What what roles, not necessarily individual people, are needed to cross that tech business barrier? Ooh, what roles? Um, I mean, I, I think I, I think it is it's the data leader, but I think it's the data leader that has the structure to not be kind of tied down to like the tech, like the technical infrastructure part of it. So I think I think it's the data leader, but also having like the proper, um, you know, architect roles or kind of the right structure so that they can go and work with the business and kind of have that um, kind of have that lens into the business. I mean, one, I think I remember months ago you posted kind of a comment or, or uh, essentially did a, a post a couple months ago, like on a Saturday about like data marketing. Um, I think that's something that that's kind of interesting, kind of, I think, critical role in terms of how do we sell what we do? So I think the step one is how do we sell what we do to our stakeholders? How do we talk about, OK, even if you built a data product, a dashboard, a table, like how do you then go take that and then sell it to the stakeholder and say, hey, guys, we built this for this purpose. This is what it's going to do. So it's kind of like thinking, going back to that product customer, I think the first steps is getting better at at sales, right? So or, or even marketing, right? How do we better market what we do? So I think, Mark, I think Juan, you talked about like a data marketing. I've, I've thought about too, like what's a, 
a data marketing and value function within the data team that their job is to market and communicate with the business around just the stuff that we're doing. So we already have a, but you know, if you think about it, you know, a data catalog, you already have tons of kind of assets at your disposal. How do you take that and then go and market that to the business and say, these are all the things that we have. I think that's kind of a role or a function that I think we don't have. So I think that's at least a starting point that I'm looking into is like, how do we better communicate what the team is doing? Um, Cause I think, I know I, I can speak from my experience. Like I've been very bad at that because we're pulled back into other initiatives and firefighting. We just don't have the time to do it. But I think having like a true like marketing aspect of what the data team does, I think that's a good first step just to get better at marketing and selling the value that we provide. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. You can, you can spend a lot of time and energy just focused on cranking out work, right? And just like, oh, we got to rip, we got to rip through tickets. We've got a request coming in and things like that. Um, but ultimately you're not going to do the best service to the business and you're not going to have a full understanding also of kind of like what's going on in the other parts of the business. So there's an interfacing part that the CDO uh, and the data team have to do, or, you know, whoever's wearing those hats in the organization, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a um, on Netflix, I've been watching this uh, documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger and he talks about like the 80s and the 90s when he was this huge like blockbuster movie star. And he talked about just the need to like sell his movies. He's like, it's one thing to make all these movies and like you can be an artist, but it's like you got to sell it. Like you got to go around. You got to travel to, you know, across the across the world and sell these movies that you're in. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like not it's not enough to just like build stuff and like be very good at building or creating like you also have to sell your work at the same time if you really wanted to take off and get value and people to pay you for it or get much more adoption so that that's how you would eventually get a seat at the table right exactly so what what does it mean what does it mean to get a seat at the table as a data team as the cdo or the, the vps of data stuff what does that actually mean I, it, it, the 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 phrase that comes to mind is like trusted partner. It's like you're found you're you're found to be someone that is critical to a discussion or conversation, right? So it's like you know if you know, Juan, if you're in that role, it's like if if Tim and I are talking about like you know business decisions, we're talking about how to improve our business. Like like guys, we need Juan at this in this meeting, or else like we can't make we can't make improvements here or it's like like you know who would be great here if we added Juan to this discussion because he's going to give us some insight or he's going to give us something to kind of help this so I think the seat of the table is like you're in the like to take Tim's original thing you're in the room where it happened right you're in the discussion talking about like these critical decisions so that when they're made you had a part to play there in terms of like providing insights or some type of feedback that's helpful but the challenge is like if you're in the room and providing like nothing of value, then you're not going to be in the room very long. Like they're going to kick you out because you've offered no value. So that's the part is right. How do you learn the the, the business literacy? How do you learn the lingo enough so you can actually provide contribution? Because you come in there talking about like servers and query performance and data quality. They're like, okay, yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. Right. Like that's not at all. Like if the CEO is like, how do we improve revenue? How do we increase our customer base, how do we improve our products? Like they want to hear tangible ideas about that. So I think that's where it goes to the language and getting a good rhythm and consistency around how you talk about the business and sell what you do. So I think the data marketing stuff kind of to your point, I think when you guys said it around, like gives you the rhythms and the discipline around talking about this enough. So when you get invited to that, you can provide a contribution to the discussion. What does this look like when it's happening well? 
You know, do, are, 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 are there lots of meetings happening cross-functionally across the organization? Or, you know, like, what are some of the, you know, the, the, the traits that are exhibited when, when this is happening well? I, I, I think the traits that you see is that when you, because I've seen this before, like, because I kind of, kind of switch over to a little bit of a governance hat. So I think you hear a lot of just positive feedback. So when you talk to people that you don't know, like if you're in the office and you're having a, a, a all persons event, and you meet people, they say, you know, what? I heard about you. Like, you know, you were the person that helped us help, help so-and-so out with this, or I heard that you guys were working on this or yeah, we heard about the, so I think it's the word of mouth, right? So I think the traits is you hear like, you're not even knowing people, there's a word of mouth that goes on around like the good stuff that's going on. And like, you kind of hear about it from different, like from different third parties, just because, or people like reach out to you. I've also seen it where like, especially in the, my old kind of BI hat, where like people reach out to you asking for your help, right? So even if you don't have that relationship, they say, hey, I heard that you guys are working on some great stuff. Like we really like to introduce you in this because we want to see how you guys can potentially help us. Like how can you guys help us scale out, you know, this process or improve this? So I think you kind of hear it through third parties or you hear about a word of mouth or people reach out to you because because it's really starting to grow. So, but, so, so this, is, this is a really interesting point, but I think we should differentiate if somebody's coming to you because, hey, I need this report versus yeah. I'm going to you because I need your help to solve a problem, which I don't know. Right? So I think those are those two. I mean, I would diff, I would see those. I, as two I think there's a risk in the organization and I should partner with the data team to even try to think about the question. Right. Versus right. Like, yeah. Give me an answer to this. I'm sorry. You come to me all the time because you need some answers and I just do the work, right? Right. I, I think there's a difference between kind of them already having an answer and kind of coming to with like requirements versus like we have a problem that we need your help to solve, but we don't know the answer. So I think it's the it's the known versus the unknown of like we have a known solution and we, we've already solution for you versus like we have a challenge. This is what we're this is the outcome we're trying to get to. Can you guys help us like solution it? help us design it. So I think to your point, that's the difference in like showing up saying I need a report. It's like, well, what are that, you trying to solve for? What are you trying that, to do here? That's an excellent point. So I think if, if you're, if, if you're on a data team or your data team, you realize people come in with like known things versus unknowns. Like that's how you know if you're making an impact or how big of an impact you're doing, right? I mean, there's still the knowns you to get addressed, right? But then you're so not, there's always the table stake things, yeah. but, but you know, are you really getting tied brought into the strategy? Right. Because I would argue to say, like, if if it's a known answer already, then it's not really strategic. It's much more tactical. Right. If, if I already know the answer, if I already know, like, the steps, like the, the, the genesis of strategy is like it's a hypothesis. It's right. Hey, we're going to try this approach and we're going to see if this works because we have an outcome. We want to increase or improve something, but we don't really know how to get there. We're trying to figure out different options. We're comparing options. We're comparing opportunities. And we're trying to see if this is going to work. But I think if like I think talk about the seat of the table, I think that's the higher level discussion is like we have no clue if this is going to work. We're going to try this out. And we're going to get feedback and data to it, see if it's going to work. But like I think that's when you know if you're in a strategic versus tactical discussion is if they're there to discuss different options and figure out the strategy versus telling you what your strategy is. I think that's where you're like, well, this is more tactical. Like they've already decided I'm just kind of here to write down and go back and make yeah. the I, I like this. So if known, you're doing just tactical things. If you get if you get involved into the unknown stuff, the challenges without that's this is about the strategic. 
that's a great differentiator. I think it, I think it's important for people who are listening. You're on a data team. Like, ask yourself, am I getting pulled into known things? Am I getting pulled into unknown things? That's how you know if you're more on the you're being seen more as somebody tactical or somebody strategic. That's a that, that's an important differentiator right there to figure out. And then ask yourself, what do you want to go do? Right? Even one is your team, but also personally as your career. Like, what, what which path do I want to go to? Right. Yeah. Because some people like, you know, some people know, like, you know, they enjoy just their particular um, path. They enjoy kind of their work where like they like the knowns where it's like, I know that I'm good at this one thing. So if you give me a report, I can kick out a report. I can create a dashboard. I can create a um, you know, a data pipeline. Like, you know, that stuff is definitely needed because you once you figure out the strategy, someone's got to execute it because the other side of the strategy that sometimes we don't talk about is the execution around, okay, how do we now take this strategy and actually execute this and bring this to life? And hopefully you have structures in place to like deliver and then see if that actually gave you the result that you wanted to. Um, so it's kind of two parts of the coin, kind of the strategy and, and the tactical. But if you're talking with like, you know, senior leaders into the C-suite, like they probably are, don't want to hear tactics. They just want to talk about, okay, this is the outcome. This is the approach. You go figure that out. Like, I don't care how the sausage gets made. I just want my sausage. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I, I think that's actually an excellent tie-in to uh, a question that uh, just came in from Emily, which is that one of the many problems that companies deal with is leadership buy-in for data strategy projects, most of the time revolving around a lack of knowledge around the value of data, other than the technical business verbiage to learn from, how would you actually, uh, you know, mitigate this problem, uh, mitigate this situation? I mean, you, you talked about kind of evangelism. Okay. I think you talked about execution. Like, for example, I, I've definitely seen that, like, sometimes you have to do like POCs or like smaller things and then show the results of that. And then people go, oh, I see okay. now. Like, I can see what's possible now. I'm, I'm curious, Aaron, what else, what, you know, uh, would you kind of double down on those two things or are there some other things we're not thinking about? I mean, I think part of the challenge for buying is that you're you're probably is potentially you're solving problems that people don't care about or they're not really problems for them. So I found that like as I go to leaders and I talk to them about challenges, if they resonate with that problem, it's actually a problem for them, then they're going to buy in because they have to because it's how they're incentivized is how their performance is driven on the outcomes of a process or things like that. So I think you have to think about just with my strategy, what problems am I trying to solve with the strategy? And are they actual, are they problems for me? Am I, am I bringing up problems that no one knows about, or this is a, is this a problem that everyone knows about and they're trying to get solved for? Because I found that, and I talk about with one of my kind of sessions, I'm a DGIQ was like, if it's a, if it's a problem, they're going to show up to figure out how you're going to solve the problem. And they're going to come and show up to the meeting to help you. I've not found an instance where like someone had a problem it was a big problem. I asked to help them and they said like, no, go away. Like if you have a, a solution, you're ready to help them solve the problem, then they're going to show up and there's that buy-in. And I think at the company's strategic level, I think it's probably it's potential that like your strategy may not be something the company wants to pursue. It may not be a big enough opportunity. They may be going after a much larger opportunity, right? So maybe you're talking about a 10% growth in the company and they're working on something that's worth 20 or 30%, much higher lift. So I think it kind of goes back to like, is what you're proposing or what we're trying to address something that no one cares about or it's small in proportion to like the stuff that they've been asked to do or work on as well. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's 
like to, you'll learn pretty quickly if like if people are showing up to your meetings, then that means that you're saying your message is something that that resonates with them that they care about. I think this is a really important insight because, you know, there are situations where, you know, you're trying to build buy in and something and people just aren't getting it. And you've got to figure out how to evangelize it, communicate it better, you know, maybe do a POC and things like that. But it also might be signal. It might be signal that that's not the right thing. And you need to figure out what the right thing is, because if it was the right thing, then they would get it and it would resonate. Right. So, so would it yeah. would it be as simple? I mean, it sounds pretty simple as like I'm trying to get buy in for this, for whatever thing. And if I don't get buy-in, that means I'm not solving a problem that people care about. But if I am getting buy-in, if the conversations are going, going, then I'm like, oh, the buy-in should actually go simple. So if you have a an, an easy sell, you're solving a real problem. If you're having a hard sell, then you're solving a not really important problem. Would it be as simple as that? Yeah, I mean, I, I can throw you some examples. Like, I think if you have if you have meetings or you're part of meetings that continuously get rescheduled, or you have meetings that um, no one shows up to, right? That could be a signal that like this is a project or something that really has not a lot of buy-in or something that people don't understand or to Gordon's point, like the right language, like maybe you're not using the right language and how you're trying to set up this meeting. But the ones that like people are showing, if people are asking you, hey, when are we meeting again? Like what's the next steps on this? Like that's something I think you can see that people are resonating with. So I've seen, both of those were like you have people who are struggling to get people to attend because the people they don't understand like i don't understand what this meeting for i don't know why we're meeting like i thought you guys take care of this versus like people are asking you to kind of like when are we talking again or like they willingly move the calendars around so i think to your point around signal tim i think that's one of those kind of kind of those data points to see like okay is this resonating with people like because as we know, when like when we're dating our significant others, like people will make time for you when it's important, right? So if someone's not making time for you, then it's like obviously like what you're trying to you know convey or present, they're not they're not interested in. Like people will make time, people will call you back <laughs> if it's important after a certain amount of time. If they're not, then it's a you know it's kind of like a they're not that into you, right? No, this, is, this is good advice for data life love relationship <laughs> so so yeah if you're trying to you're, you're you're trying to go out with somebody you're calling them and they're not picking you up and like kind of not into you yeah, exactly. Same thing applies with the work that you're doing <laughs> it does okay, okay, this is great um you know so <laughs> i'm tempted to continue to roll on this topic but <laughs> one other topic that i uh you know would love to go back to and dig more into is like you know a, a business data strategy right? How do I build a business data strategy? Like, is that the data team building that with help from stakeholders and friends? Is it the, is it really an extension to the corporate strategy? And it's just a part of the corporate strategy. Curious about Aaron, what your thoughts on like building a a business data strategy? Yeah. uh, To your point, I think it goes back to business literacy and trying to tie back to what people care about. So I think you don't want to try to reinvent the wheel. So if you can find something that already has been created that people are aligned to, then it's like use that. So if if there's a one pager that the, the, that your your CEO or C suite have put together, I would say take that one pager and then try to connect what you're doing to that, right? Because like that's what that's what they put together. They've probably spent tons of time and strategy workshops and offsites putting that together. So that's what everyone's aligned to. 
So if you put together something that's completely different, it's more of a distraction because like they're focused on this thing. So I would say taking like, you know, whatever corporate initiatives that you can find, sometimes it's not easy, right? Sometimes some companies I've seen where it's like they have it on the website, it's known. Sometimes like you got to talk to 15 or 20 people just to get it. But I would say trying to find just the, the one pager that shows like these are the corporate initiatives and then tying all the work that the team is doing to that. So, for example, you know, at CARD, you know, we have some operational excellence um, initiatives and one of my corporate initiative ties into that. So usually what I talk about is kind of linking it back to the corporate initiative, which people are, are lying to. They know what it is. That's another thing like you're tr like with education, you don't want to have to spend a lot of time trying to retrain and re kind of reframe people. If they're already framed about this language, like speaking that language because they're already used to it. There's a whole corporate communications around it like. You don't want to spend too much effort trying to kind of teach people a different language. So I would say to answer your question is like tie into the corporate initiatives that already somewhere speak in that language and tie the data initiatives to that. So how is what you're doing helping the organization improve in the areas that they've already listed? Because if you try to create something else, you have to spend a lot more effort trying to repoint them to what you're trying to do. And their effort for that fiscal year is going to be tied to that strategy. So you're trying to convince people to do something else and they're not incentivized to help you like they're incentivized to follow the corporate strategy so it's like don't make your life worse just follow link into what is already out there i, I think that the, the the speaking and aligning to the language is is really important and not only does it help you to get buy-in for what it is that you're doing right so operational excellence excellence for example right if you've got data strategy and data initiatives that are tying to the business corporate initiative of operational excellence that's going to help with budget understanding buy-in tie-in right but also you get to benefit from all the change management and all the communication yep. that's happening on that and when people say oh i'm learning about this new operational excellence thing then you get to say yeah and our data strategy is doing x y and z and it's extending that and they go oh okay and all the dots get connected right yeah this is why it's so important to like understand what are your the, the strategic goals the operational goals the the okrs right the objective key results all these things whatever approach your, your organization takes like you need to understand what these things are and i think also aaron you on, on linkedin you'd like to go say oh like this public company just re just reported their earnings report let's go in and see what exactly the things that are going on so if you actually work for a public company like these things are actually reported right yeah. you can go find them publicly available. they're publicly available yeah. to go see what it is like literally what is the ceo talking to all of wall street so th this is the, th this is part of that business literacy i would argue yeah i mean if you a lot of companies i've seen is like when they try to get people to do stuff they usually like 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 insert C-suite name said X, Y, Z. And that usually tries to galvanize people. So to your point, I mean, like if you have, if you're part of a public company, like you can see the strategy, like they clearly lay out the strategy and that's most likely being approved by the board, uh, by the shareholders. They're sharing that strategy because that they're trying to communicate how the company plans to grow, how they plan to ex expand. Um, and like, essentially that's the, the, that's the blueprint for how they plan to get the stock price to go up. So I would say, if you can align to, hey, our CEO said this on the earnings call, so we're going to do this, like you have a much higher um, kind of chance that people are going to align better to that. Cause like, well, why would they go against something the CEO said on a, on a, on a call that went out to shareholders and kind of financial analysts, like everyone's kind of aligned to that. So to me, it's like, 
bro, that's like, that's the strategy. So I mean, I always post about that because it kind of even gets me into the mindset around like, okay, how do CEOs talk? Because like I said before, the language of how CEOs talk is very specific and very different. They're always talking about growth, growth pillars, year over year growth, quarter over quarter. Like you, you kind of have to listen to kind of how they talk about the business. And like, if you take that language, like that's where people are used to hearing. So if you can speak like that, I think it's a much higher chance that you'll get like buy-in alignment because like you're speaking in the same language. This is great advice. I mean, just go, go read earning calls of, of companies and go, this is hugely, hugely valuable. Um, so much stuff to more talk. I mean, we've already been 40 minutes on this stuff before we head into our next sections. There's one topic I want to hit, which yeah. is the leaders, the data leaders. We had this conversation on LinkedIn. I was privately about, uh, we, I was at the CDO IQ conference and, and I, and I shared one of my takeaways is like, well, if CDOs are, their, their tenure is 18 months or two years, whatever. And like, Oh, wow. Like it's probably a problem because you're hiring the wrong people. Well, that's one way of seeing it. Yeah, you you had some interesting thoughts. So please uh, share what's close to your vest on this. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good setup. It's um, <laughs> the ultimate setup. No, I, I would say. I mean, and not to not to call out any particular people, but I think looking at LinkedIn, and you kind of start to look across the landscape, and you see a lot of like former CDOs, former CDAOs. You see people being like, you can tell they've been let go. You can see that there was layoffs. Some people just resigned. Like after a while, you see a pattern of like people in that like those CDO, CDO role, just not with their companies anymore. So like, so you start to think about, okay, is it the role or is it like, we just don't have the right people? Because I remember I was talking to someone on LinkedIn and they said that where like they said it took them 20 plus years to really like get business acumen, like get uh, aligned data to business outcomes, where it's like it took them decades to get the experience that they felt comfortable in their own shoes to be like a competent CDO. So I think that there's a something to be said that, you know, potentially some of the tenure could just be because people are been very um, ambitious and trying to get to these kind of top roles and they get that right. They get it to see the table but they just don't have the experience or the chops around like how do they communicate? If you think about the C-suite, right? All those people are there because they have some type of enabler lever to improve the business. So if you don't have the ability to kind of say, my lever is data and this is how we're going to use this lever to improve the business. Like I said, I think that you're going to be out there pretty quickly. So this is just kind of my conjecture more about a, if we're seeing patterns around people just not in some of those higher roles, it's potential that just people like we've not set up other day leaders for success. It could be that they don't have enough experience or maybe there's just not enough product. Like I said, I mean, that role has been out there, I think, for, for 20 years now. So I think we're still learning about it. So I think, unfortunately, there's potentially that people are in those roles who just like weren't prepared. Like because especially in this year, like with potentially talks about a recession in the economy, there's some there's some very specific um, goals around revenue. Right. So if you think about it, it's all about top line revenue around we need to grow revenue. So if we're se- if we're not in a position where we can't attach data to business outcomes or revenue goals, then it's a, well, then what are you doing here? And like, why do we have this person in this role? So it's kind of the gift and curse of a, hey, if we want that C-suite title, you want that CDO moniker, like there's some huge implications around what that role means. And mm-hmm. it, my curiosity is more of a, as we see people in that role at large amounts, just kind of go through high amounts of attrition. Sure, the organizational may have some challenges, but also is a question of, right, 
Are do we have the right people in those roles? Are they ready for them? Like, how many qualified CDOs do we have? I mean, you can also say like, do we need that role in many companies? But it's like, if they do need it, like, are these the right people that are in those roles? You, you ask an interesting question about like, uh, you know, uh, are they the right people for the role? And you know, are are there potentially more CDO openings? then there are actually people that truly, deeply are qualified to be CDO. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> is, well, now I'm curious. Like, uh, you can do analysis on if you can get some LinkedIn data and seeing job openings for CDOs, uh, seeing, seeing people who have these title CDOs, how they've shifted and like, eh, well, there's a lot of yeah. patterns that you may be able to, well, uh, to observe. Well, and here's a different lens on it, right? Like, uh, and I'll just ask this as a question to you, Aaron, you know, a person who needs to be the CDO, would you rather have somebody who had, who worked at the company for 20 years, uh, and has five years of data experience, so only five years of data experience, but they worked at the company for 20 years as the CDO, or would you rather have somebody who has seen it all data, everything, 20 years of data experience, but only has, let's even be a little smaller here, like a year and a half of experience in that company. Who would be the better CDO? I know that's a tough question, but just kind of curious about your gut reaction. I mean, I think the gut reaction is that all experience is not equal. So mm -hmm. even when you say like 20 years of data experience, like, well, what is that experience? So if your only experience is building data warehouses and kind of building like BI reporting, and kind of doing that, then I think it's a, you know, you can try it, but I think you're gonna have issues. So I think it's more so leans on like someone with actual business acumen who knows like the business and how, like all those big questions, like how, why did the business exist? How does the business make money? What's the operating, what's the operating model? Um, so I think it's a, who's better equipped uh, to help lead the business to be kind of much more of a business um, business leader versus kind of a tech oriented leader. But I mean, if the, if the data leader has 20 plus years of experience, like at that level, like ta tagging data to value, tagging to business outcomes, yeah, getting a new person to, in the business is good. But if you're much more in the back office, like more and more data infrastructure, platform, traditional reporting, then I think you're going to have a challenge just because I, I think the challenge is, I think organizations still don't know what they want out of the CDO. So it's really up to you to define the role and what you want it to be. But if the organization says, hey, we need to figure out ways to drive revenue, then like you're on the hook for creating that strategy. And if you have no experience with that, then you're gonna have some challenges. Yeah, no, I think you said it really well when you said not all data experience is treated equal. There's a big difference between somebody who has 20 years of experience in data, but it's building data warehouses and doing data integration and maybe even like master data management or something like that versus somebody who spent the last 20 years building business data strategy, tying data initiatives to initiatives within a corporation and driving, you know, those three things you mentioned, risk mitigation, cost uh, uh, prevention and, uh, and revenue growth. The, the have, hearing this back and forth um, anecdotally kind of talk, go into conferences and talking to people I've been seeing is um, there's been a lot of CDOs have been very technical and I, I'm starting to see a shift of new people coming in who don't have a technical background in data that know the know the business come from the business side and actually never work with data and now they're being put in charge inside of the data of CDOs 
So I, I think it's like we've started being more technical to the CDOs and it hasn't been working out. So you know what? Let's just flip it and let's put the business people because they can get supported by other technical sites. So that, that's I, I'm, I don't want to call out companies or stuff, but I've, I've seen this not, not having this hearing this conversation. I'm connecting the dots and realizing that this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 the great question of like if you bring in a business, if you bring in a business oriented person, can you? I won't say outsource, but it's like which which skills are much more commoditized, right? Can you go and find like can you? I know data technical skills are tough, but it's like can I bring in a kind of outside firm to kind of help me build out my data team, my technical abilities, while I try to insource and kind of internally staff that. Trying to find someone like to go out and like you know, trying to find a technically minded person, but then trying to outsource you know someone with business skills like that's more harder to do. So I think that's the question is like which is more which can you kind of outsource or farm out while you try to build out the skill sets like more the technical side or the business side. I mean that's it's an interesting kind of dichotomy. <laughs> This is a good conversation to for the next conference. Then we go uh, uh, not recorded. We get some CDOs or former CDOs in the room, and we'll see how, what do you think about this. But <laughs> all right, well, we got to move on here. Uh, next is our AI minute. One minute to rant about anything you want about AI. Ready, set, go. Okay. So, so AI, it's. It's interesting just because um, I, I think it all revolves around just use cases. Um, if you look at just earnings reports, like Uber had his first profit. They talked about AI like one time and they called it just machine learning. Look at SAP and they talked about AI in terms of like it was like 63 plus times that SAP talked about it. Right. So I think AI has the ability to definitely you know transform and kind of you know provide a lot of benefits. But I think the question is always. What are those use cases of how are we leading? Like, what are we leading with? Are we leading with the business initiatives and use cases, or just we're trying to find we're trying to find a use case for it, but no one really knows what to do with it. And also, just how the business is architected. So, if you think about, you know, two, three, multiple years ago, we all talked about RPA, right? RPA and intelligent automation. So, but to do that, you needed transformations around the business to rearchitect how the business works together. And I think we're in a similar boat where we need to figure out. How the business is going to work with all these AI capabilities? It's not AI for AI's sake, nope. as you've been saying. Yep. <laughs> Lightning round time. Let's do it. All right. Lightning round. So, first question If the CDO reports to the CIO, is that going to cause problems with being business oriented? Um, I would say. I would say not necessarily. I think it goes to ownership and accountability. So if that CDO has defined ownership and defined accountability that's set by the CIO for part of the business, then I think it's here. So I think expectations um, needs to be very clear around what the CDO owns and what they're accountable for versus what the CD, the CIO owns and accountable for. I think that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, all right. Second question for you. Um, seat at the table does the CDO need to earn it or should they expect it? Um, it's, it's so hard. I, I think it really, it, it depends on the organizational culture. I think I've yet to be at a company where they truly like had the use case for a CDO. So I would say that if you're at a company that, 
you that don't doesn't really need a CDO, then you should probably earn it. Um, because you show up there expecting it, you probably won't last there very long. So I really I think it depends on the culture. Um, it's not all equal. I think some places you have to earn it because you have to kind of create your own role versus kind of showing up and having it already established. That's a good answer. All right. Next question. Data engineers and data infrastructure people, do they need to understand the business strategy? I would say yes, because you do want people to attach to understand why they're doing it. So you don't want someone to just go out and build some amazing pipelines that no one's going to use. It's a waste of their time. And eventually you're seen as a true cost center where you're building stuff that no one uses. Eventually when times get tough, they're going to ask what this person's working on. So if you can't tie it there, you're going to have traction. You're having problems. So I think you definitely need to understand it just from a professional perspective, like knowing that what you're doing makes a difference. You're not just kind of, you know, just a cog. You're not building stuff that no one's going to use. Mm. Interesting. Nope. All right. Last lightning round question for you, Aaron. Are there some situations where technical data strategy first is the right thing? Um. Not really. <laughs> I would say only if like if if that's your role, right? If if you were hired to do that and like that is your role, that's your passion, like that, like if you're an architect and like you were hired to do that, then yeah, like that's your focus because someone else has defined kind of the strategy for you and that's where you live at. So I think in those kind of very specific roles potentially, but still like it, it's hard to do that in isolation. Um, unless like you have a very specific role, you were there, maybe you're a consultant, right? So very specific project. And like, that's how, you know, your gauge on success is delivery of that. But it's, it's very, it's very tricky. Yeah. And Gordon says security, maybe in the comments here. Yeah. I think like if, if your role truly is focused on the technology piece and somebody else is doing the business data strategy, because it's not like that can't exist. It just might not be your role. Right. Right. It's just so. the, who's, is the person responsible for data strategy like, yeah, you need to make sure you have a business strategy. You can't just be pushing a just a solely technical uh, technical data strategy. Yep. Hmm. Well, uh, takeaway times. We have so many notes here. Uh, we, we've been seeing Tim's typing, and I'm on, on my iPad here. Let's go. Tim, yep. take us away. Sounds good. Chat GPT hasn't replaced us yet. <laughs> so um, we started off with, you know, um, would it be bad to do just a, a technical data strategy and sort of technical data strategy versus business data strategy? And uh, you were very firm in the camp of, yes, it would be bad just to do a technical data strategy and only to think of data strategy through that lens. And so, like, what would that be? What would, you know, technical data strategy be? It would be like uh, hyper focus on the data infrastructure and the tooling and the platforms and the architectures and not tying it to the business outcomes. So uh, we, we talked about an example of, uh, you know, the lake house architecture, you know, data lake eventually kind of evolved into the lake house, right? Um, oh, everyone is doing it. You know, we have an out of date, uh, you know, SQL server, you know, it's cooler, it's more modern. Um, let's just migrate all of the same stuff that we already have onto a new platform and, you know, tap into the magical power of big data. Um, you know, unfortunately, that approach did not work well. Um, and, uh, you know, retrospectively, we should have seen it happen, right? Uh, we should have, we should have knew it, but we didn't, I think we're smarter now. But, you know, Joe Reese probably said it best on LinkedIn, as you mentioned, you know, it was the lost decade, we jumped onto the next big thing. Uh, we jumped all into the big data thing. And, you know, and, and we, we, we saw what came out of that. Salespeople made a lot of money selling tech and services with the value income. <laughs> so uh, do's and don'ts, three things, top line growth, 
bottom line growth, aka reducing cost, and then risk mitigation. You mentioned that those are the three things. You have to communicate how your tech investments are going to impact those three things. What are the tangible benefits? What is your business data strategy, right? Um, really, like, you're, you know, you, you had mentioned in your own story, right? You were talking to the salespeople and they were talking about customers. They were talking about how to get the customers, how to get more of them, customer journey mapping, products, how to get, make better products. These are the elements around the business and around the business data, uh, the business strategy. And the business data strategy is how data helps you accomplish those things, right? To get more customers, to get better products, happier customers. People need to talk about data the way the business talks about the business, a.k.a. in terms of the business. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about, um, you know, enablement and engagement. How do you engage around performance, business literacy, which is really important here. Um, and uh, we need to sell that to the stakeholders. Data teams need to get better at selling. Communicate what your team is doing outwardly. Juan, what about you? All right. Well, we got the seat at the table. We talked a lot about this today. Um you're, if you have a seat at the table, it's because you're a trusted partner, right? You're being asked to be in the meeting because a critical decision needs to be made, and they can't make that decision without you. If you're in the room and you're not providing value, you will be kicked out of that room if you just start talking about servers and data quality and whatever, right? So how do you know that this isn't working? How do you know that it is working? Is that word of mouth. People start talking. They want to go talk to you. Like people you didn't know are reaching out to you. Uh, so then there's this difference between people coming to you that they already have a solution and they just need you to do it versus they have an outcome and a desire to partner with you. And this is a big aha moment for me was this differentiation of if it's they come with knowns, very tactical. If they come with unknowns, it's strategic. And we don't know if it's going to go work. And that's the differentiation. So ask yourself, are you, are they, are, are you, are folks coming to you with known things or unknowns? By the way, if it's unknown, you still need to go execute around this. Mm -hmm. Talking about getting buy-in. If the problem resonates with leaders, then it's a, and it's a problem for them. They will buy in. Uh, Otherwise, it's not a if it's not a problem for them, then they won't really care. But buying will be hard. So if buying is hard. That means that it's a problem that they don't really care about. Maybe it's a problem for you, but maybe others don't care about it. So if you have a solution to a problem, if you have a solution to a problem that they have, of course they will want that. As you said, like nobody's gonna say no. I don't want your solution here for my problem. If if your proposal is about something that folks don't really care about, or it's probably too small because they're focused on something bigger then that's also probably the wrong thing. <laughs> There's all these signals out there, right? If you're having a project or set up a project, but people are even coming to your meetings, signals, signals right there. So kind of a, a, a takeaway for me personally is like, just go find the signals, right? There's so many obvious signals right there. Will they make time for you? Are they calling you back, right? Get just think about it if you're dating in your personal life. Uh, same type of signals will apply here. Uh, building a business data strategy. How do you do that? Hey, if there's a one-pager or slide deck from your business strategy uh, out there, go take that. Understand it. Tie it to your business strategy, the corporate goals, the corporate initiatives, the operational excellent initiatives within your organization. Check out the public reporting documents, the earnings call. Like That's the strategy right there simplified and publicly available. Look how the CEO talks. They talk about growth. They talk about quarter over quarter expansion, about new geographies, learn to speak that language. And we wrapped up our conversations about data leaders and say, heck, if CDO tenure is only 18 months, then they or those organizations may be hiring the wrong people. Is it the role? Is it the wrong people? Or I mean, th this is something that we need to start asking ourselves. How long does it take to truly be a competent CDO? 
that's another thing that we should all be asking ourselves too. Uh, if you don't know how to leverage your le your levers to improve the business, you're going to be out. So if you really are striving to have that CDO title, there's a lot of expectations. And we have this balance between uh, the CDO with technical experience or, or business experience. And let's remember that not all data experience is treated equal. Um, and then sometimes, hey, organizations don't know some what they need out of that CDO. How did we do? Anything we missed? Oh, you got it. I mean, I think big one's just the one where it's just intentionality, right? Like we have to be intentional. A lot of times no one's going to ask us to do this. We have to do it ourselves and kind of have you know, the internal um, fortitude just to kind of be trailblazers and pioneers. Um, so we have to go out and do it ourselves because few people will make us or force us. We have to do it ourselves. Love that as a closing thought. So wrap up, throw it back to you. Three questions. What's your advice? You already gave us some relationship advice too. So. <laughs> What's advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? Um, what was the advice? Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say the advice is to learn as much about the business, right? The top three questions I always talk about is, you know, why does your business exist? Like what value do they provide in the marketplace? Um, how do they make money, right? How do they, you know, get, you know, bring in revenue? Uh, third one is what's the operating model, right? So how do they actually you know, bring people together to deliver on the value proposition and make money? So I think if you follow those three questions, that's a big one. Um, people, um, I don't know if you've, I think you've talked with Samaya Rahman. Um, she's a she's a person I would say, um, that I, know, I think I met at DGIQ, we kind of talked on LinkedIn um, that I would definitely recommend, um, who's kind of another, kind of very, has very great ideas on data in this industry um resources i mean I, I think podcasts are huge one thing i'm digging into now is is rev ops so revenue ops um it's a lot of a lot of podcasts around like um you know sales marketing customer service all those types of things um that really kind of help you know drive revenue to the business so i think understanding those kind of functions will i think help the data team out a lot in terms of how we bring this business value that's cool. I, I didn't realize there were dedicated podcasts on RevOps, but I mean, there's dedicated podcasts about everything. everything so. right yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was surprised. I looked it up. There's like 10 of them. Nice. And, and to close up, as uh, we like to say here, um, show me the money. This is LinkedIn user, which I know it's uh, Mark Kisson, who's uh, just probably woke up because he's uh, uh, another loyal listener all the way from Perth. Australia. So it's probably, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> all right. Well, Hey, before we wrap up, uh, next week we have Ari Kaplan, who is the original Moneyball guy. He's uh, he's uh, the head of uh, evangelism at Databricks. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. And then after that, we'll have Alexa Westlake from Okta continuing the conversation about data value. After that, you and me, we're going to be uh, on the other side of the pond. We have uh, some interesting stuff going around. Uh, we'll, we're figuring that out ourselves right now. Yeah, mid-September, we're going to be in the UK and also in uh, Amsterdam. Yeah. So it should be fun. Fun. And with that, Aaron, thank you. Thank you so much. It was a phenomenal conversation. We've uh, really excited. We finally got to do this. Uh, excited. We finally got to meet in person a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um, and as always, thanks to Data World, who lets us do this every Wednesday. We keep doing this. This is year four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, awesome. cheers. Cheers. All right. Cheers, guys. Thank you.